They also have a nice, a very nice spa with a sauna, a relaxation room, Ooh. some treatment rooms. <laughs> yeah. You're speaking my language, John. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the DCL Duo podcast, and we are excited to welcome back a returning guest. John, I think you've been on not once, but maybe twice, but welcome back, John. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, we're excited to have you back. Well, John, we wanted to have you back to talk about your recent Antarctic cruise on Atlas Ocean Voyages. But before we dive in, we always like to have our guests orient themselves in terms of the amount of cruising they've done, which you've done a lot. And so can you help our guests recall your cruising background? Yeah, I have been cruising very avidly for the past 15 years or so, and I'm approaching, I think, 100 cruises. I have to narrow that down and get a precise number, but uh, the wife says we're coming up on 100 cruises of all sorts, large ships, small ships, expedition ships like this one is that we're going to talk about. That's my main form of travel, and I write about it on my blog in thelooptravel.com and post videos and reviews and let people know what to expect on these trips on my YouTube channel as well, In The Loop Travel. Awesome. Yeah. And a fabulous Instagram page, if I'm recalling correctly, because I always see great photos of your travels. So I think (laughs) you've got some great photos out there. Uh, Always adventure-packed photos, too. They're always in motion. So I love it. Yeah. I try to make that my niche, a way to just stay active and keep on moving so we don't grow old, you know? Yeah, exactly. that's, what, that's what this expedition cruising is all about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you were on Atlas Ocean Voyages, which we were talking ahead of the show off air, that they're a new cruise line out there. What's uh, what's the story with Atlas Ocean Voyages, John? Well, they're a very uh, brand new cruise line, and this is their first ship, and they took it down to Antarctica for their first season. It was It's called World Navigator. It's 196 passengers on board at the most, and we sailed with about half that. But yeah, they're, they're a new entry, a luxury expedition company. It's a fast-growing segment having these sort of expeditions, smaller ships out there. So they've sort of joined the fray. And when you say luxury end here, what are we talking... When we had you on last, we were talking about Penant Cruises, which is the line that Adventures by Disney is going to be using for some of their Antarctic expedition cruising. And so I'm curious, how does it compare to Penant? Is it in the same category or are they trying to go a cut above? Yeah. from one, I went on Penant two years ago, almost exactly two years ago. And it's the luxury portion of it is, is you get an all-inclusive sort of fare and it's a a well-curated trip where you sort of one price package all in. Um, this trip that I went on included the airfare, private charter flight down out of Orlando, and you get your pre-cruise hotel stay and all transfers and everything on board is uh, all included, except for maybe some very high-end liquors or something like that. But this is a very inclusive, uh, worry-free type of hassle-free vacation for, for those who want that kind of package. Yeah, that's really nice. It limits the amount of planning that you have to do on your end. Right. And you left out of Orlando. Where do you pick up with the ship to get to Antarctica? I'm assuming somewhere in deep South America. Yeah, it's in uh, this this, uh, itinerary went out of uh, Argentina, Ushuaia, the very southern tip of the South American continent down there in Tierra del Fuego. And then you sail out of Ushuaia for a couple of days and then you reach uh, the, the Antarctic continent. That is a that is a long trip, I'm assuming. How long did it take you to get there from Orlando? The flight is about, it would be about 13 hours all in once you're actually taken off and then landing. This cruise, I think you said was a an eight or a nine night sailing? Yeah, it's eight, eight nights of sailing. And then you have the um, sort of transfer times on each end and the, the pre-cruise stay in Ushuaia. And did you uh, did you experience Aswaya at all? Did you get to do anything while you were there? Or was it really just sort of a, a stopover right before you got on the boat? Well, because of the times that we're in, um, they try to create a travel bubble. And that's kind of why you have the charter flights as well. Uh, Argentina is only allowing these cruises to happen during the pandemic if you are sort of skipping over Buenos Aires. Most Antarctica trips might include a, a time in, in Buenos Aires ahead of time, and then you take a little charter flight from Buenos Aires to Ushuaia. But this arrangement has been made during these times, so you got to sort of bypass all over Argentina altogether, go straight into your bubble with your travel group, do all the testing. But we were able to do a little time in Ushuaia, which consisted of staying on a, on a tour bus and traveling only within our group. So no, no kind of independent travel. The idea is to get you there, get you on the ship, get you out of town so that these things are still doable. 
it's nice that Atlas gave you that, you know, tour as a part of your trip since you weren't going to have a lot of time in Argentina. Right, right. And they kind of don't have any choice but to keep us occupied in some fashion while they get the previous guests off the boat and to the airport and back onto the same plane that we that we used to come down on. So there's a lot of logistics at play and a lot of companies are, you know, doing the best they can with, with this. I know Crystal Cruises is also using their own private shuttle flights out of Miami and things like that. And it's just sort of things that that have to happen. And it does require a lot of patience on the part of the travelers because there can be hiccups along the way, I, I imagine. But but if you want to get on a trip to Antarctica during these times, these are sort of things you have to sort of go in and expect. We were on the shuttle bus for quite a, quite a bit and they take you to a nice restaurant and you have some lunch, but you don't do any independent exploring that you might otherwise like to enjoy uh, in Buenos Aires or, Argent- or Ushuaia on normal years of traveling and doing this whole package. But it's something a lot of people were really willing to do because they're so pent up and wanting to travel. And Antarctica is such a big, big destination that people want to get to. So it's good that it's still open, I think. Well, and you've got this really small travel group, given obviously the size of the ship is small to begin with, but then you said it was only at about half capacity. So you're talking less than 100 people in your travel group. You can really start to kind of get to know those people from the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what makes a lot of fun. Part of these sort of encounters are getting to meet people. They're like-minded people who really love to do adventure travel and you meet meet them and know where they're from. And that's, it is really fun. Well, since we've, we've mentioned the C word a couple of times now, I'm curious what, you know, beyond this sort of travel bubble, what were the protocols that they were implementing pre-cruise and on board? Yeah, they're, they're pretty strict. You know, they get the, the window of time where you have to get tested before you even fly out of Orlando. And the Argentinian government wants you to fill out the paperwork and show that you have tested 48 hours before entry to their country. So we test one time at home before even setting out for Orlando. We tested one time on site before we got on the plane. And then once you land, you test again before you you get on the boat. So there's a whole uh, series of tests. You have to test when you leave the ship to head back to the U.S. as well. So it's, you know, the protocols also include the mask wearing on board when up and moving around the ship. Uh, when we're outdoors in the environment, we, we didn't have to wear masks, of course. So it was pretty tight. And we fortunately came through uh, with nobody on board having any positive results. And, and it was a fairly clean trip for us. I know other uh, ships have been dealing with some cases from crew and, and passengers you know, directly after us. So we were very fortunate. And I assume they required everybody to be fully vaccinated for the cruise as well. Yes, yeah. as well. And and to carry um, an insurance policy that had COVID in policy uh, written into it in case, in case there were any expenses or you had to be sent home. It was going to be all on put back on the policy. They were you know, $49 per person to buy, to buy a policy just for that trip. Is that something they brokered for you or did you have to go yeah, out on your yeah, own? Yeah, you can do it on your own, but you had to make sure you had the right kind of policy. But th- this was available. Atlas had a outlet that they used that provided it as well. And they made it pretty easy for you to go ahead and buy it online ahead of the trip. Now, was there an age requirement for this cruise? I know that some of these expedition cruises in general have age limits, meaning no children under age, whatever. Did Do you know if this one had an age limit? You know, I don't know if they have that as a specific policy on this cruise ship in general. In Antarctica, it might have a different rule specifically because it's kind of a different environment. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't know that they don't allow s- certain ages on it. I'm sure it's kind of a very young age if they don't allow, but we didn't see anyone younger than 30 on the ship. So uh, I was it, it, never, it never even dawned on me to, to think <laughs> about it in those terms because my one, two years ago, we did have a couple of teenagers on board. So I know that uh, Ponant, for example, would allow in Antarctica, you know, 11, 12, 13 year olds or whatever. But yeah, I'm certain that I'm sure there's a certain age where you get a little too young that they just can't have you on board. It wouldn't be safe. You can't get an out of the Zodiacs. Well, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the ship itself, a brand new ship. How long had it been in service when you boarded, John? Was this the first cruise or was it a few cruises in? No, no, it had been in, it's been in uh, service for over half a year now. It launched in, um, had some trips in Greece and Egypt was when they first started it, over there in the Mediterranean. Yeah. And then they, and then they came around and did the crossing and went down. And, and so they started in November down in Antarctica, but they've been They've been out there for for more than half a year now since they've launched. 
And we talked about the number of passengers on board. Do you have a sense of how many crew are on the ship? Um, yeah, they had probably about 120 or so crew as well. So yeah, almost like a one-to-one ratio. Obviously not all of those are in the service facing uh, roles, but yeah, yeah, that's pretty impressive. What, what kind of amenities are on the, the ship, John? You said it's a luxury cruise line. So, you know, what kinds of things could folks expect to be able to do on board? Well, you have um, nice a couple of nice bars and lounges. The one nice observation uh, lounge at the top on deck seven, which is called the dome, and so you have the surrounding uh, floor to ceiling windows, and then the outdoor bow areas, which are great for watching the scenery and being on call in case anything shows up in the water. The main lounge area, they have a theater. Uh, where they do the enrichment talks and things like that. They have a pianist who travels, sort of a, a resident pianist. They also have a nice, a very nice spa with a sauna, a relaxation room, Ooh. some treatment rooms. <laughs> yeah. You're speaking my language, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was uh, that was a nice treat. The uh, sauna has got huge space in there, actually. It's just great to go in there and, and, and relax. And you can look out the windows that are also available there. So everything is sort of got a like indoor outdoor feel to it where you always have a view looking out a restaurant a nice uh, sort of fast casual eatery so there's always food available 24 hour room service in in suite room service things like that the luxury touches that are sort of extra that historically over the years they're they're building in more luxury experiences for these types of places but it is kind of a new phenomenon Right. Expedition trips used to be a little bit more like the cabins were a little bit on the rustic side. Very rustic. Yes, exactly. And then you might go sit in a big cantina type area and join the crew for for meals and things like that. Go through a, a buffet line or whatever. And that indoor-outdoor connection seems really... I'm I'm happy to hear that. Because when you're on an expedition cruise, it's about the nature around you, generally. It's not about this ship. Yes. And I was impressed with the amount of outdoor space they had, like, all the way up. Oh, they actually have, like, a nice pool, but it wasn't open during uh, Antarctica. But the hot tubs were, which was kind of a nice contrast after you do the polar plunge and then jump in the hot tubs. But yeah, they have tons of outdoor space to go all sorts of places you can find and not be too crowded with everyone else trying to get right on the railing. And you can just, you always have a spot to, to really enjoy the birds flying alongside with you or see the ice formations flowing through the channel and things like that. Now, you mentioned the couple of spaces for eating. So there, you said there's a, a like a main dining room and then there's a fast casual. I assume by what you said earlier, but I want to make sure I'm, my assumption is correct, that all inclusive means all the foods included. And so you can go to either of those places, you know, whenever they're serving food. Right, exactly. And they also did have another um, grill out by the pool area, grill and restaurant, but it also wasn't open during our sailing. But when they're not doing their expedition voyages and more of their expedition light or or Mediterranean type voyages, these places are going to be, that's like a third restaurant option. So it's really nice. Right. And if they're doing the med, there's probably less expedition style and more just luxury small ship cruising style. Exactly. But I'm sure they'll have the options to um, when when possible to get out their kayaks and paddle boards all over the world. Well, let's stick with the, the ship's facilities for a second. What was your stateroom like, John? And do you have a sense of the breadth of the stateroom offerings on board? A little bit. I mean, we had a balcony on ours and the staterooms aren't huge. The ship itself is not that huge. Like, for example, a Crystal Endeavor, the new luxury expedition ship that also goes down to Antarctica is down there now, is almost twice the footprint of this one. So this this space wasn't as large, but it was comparable to what I saw in Panant, for example. But I only compared it to Crystal because I'd also been on that one probably a month before being on this one. And they're both brand new entries into the expedition space. So it's an easy comparison to make, even though Crystal is quite a bit bigger and maybe is an ultra luxury sort of thing. But the the stateroom on World Navigator, what I would call is comfortable. It wasn't over the top. And it had the balcony, which you always want. That's just vital for me, especially if you're going to be in Antarctica or be on the uh, on an expedition cruise that you want to be able to pop out when you hear something's going on or you want to see what it, it looks like when you first where you are when you wake up first thing in the morning and things like that. But you know, we were well taken care of, very comfortable. You know, everything you'd expect in a, in a stateroom, the twenty four hour room service if you want to get something to eat, television with a variety of movies if you wanted to to, to hang out and relax for an afternoon, or if the seas got too rough, you'd have to sort of be stuck in your bed. You'd be able to have something to do. Um, but yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it seems like one thing you would want to have a lot of, even if you don't have space, is 
storage for this kind of a cruise? Because I imagine the packing for this kind of a cruise is not is not easy. <laughs> no, yeah, it's 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 funny because people I always ask, and then they're surprised because now that I've done it twice, I would say you probably do not have to pack as much as you think you would have to. To your point, uh, the the room had probably just enough storage. And I was traveling with my brother and we packed very light. So it was fine. And you can put stuff under your bed too. There's always room under the bed. But I would have wished there was a little more closet space. For, for the Antarctica voyages, these cruise lines, especially the luxury ones that build themselves as such, do provide parkas once you get there. So you don't have to bring your own sort of heavy topware. You just got to bring a lot of nice layers that to make sure you're going to be warm and can strip down or add on as, this, as the days change or the weather change changes. So you just want to bring your gloves and your nice layers and some uh, waterproof pants. They'll even provide the boots for you to use while you're on board. So things like that aren't going to take up a lot of space in your suitcase. Now you do have the parka to bring home yours to keep. So you do want to sort of account for how am I going to get this home (laughs) with some space in your luggage. Otherwise you'd be wearing a parka back on the plane. Well, as you fly to Orlando, which might look a little weird when you walk off, but <laughs> but you want to keep the parka for sure, so you just got to count for that. That's a fun souvenir. Depending where you where you live, you might you might use it or you might never use it again. Right. I guess if you <laughs> yeah, if you live in Florida, I live in Colorado, so mine's yeah. going to come in handy. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, do they have do they have laundry on board for you? I mean, the one thing that strikes me is these more active cruises. You know, I'm the type of person that my layers would get sort of soaked through if you're really getting active. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they do have laundry services on board. That's not included, so it's sort of an a la carte thing if you wanted to to have them do your laundry for you. The food on board, John. I would expect the luxury end of things, and especially these small ship sailings, because they're not having to do what I would call catering style food. I mean, hundred people is still catering, but they can provide a little bit more personal touch to it than a large cruise liner can. I'm assuming it was good food, but what was the what was the dining experience like overall, food quality, all that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, it was really good. Um, it was not regional cuisine because there's, you know, you, other than some seafood and stuff you might think you'd get in Antarctica, but the cruise line's heritage is out of Portugal. So they had some sort of Portuguese style food, but there was a lot of steak, seafood, large giant langoustines, things like that. Good variety of things, some pastas. I'm not a huge foodie, so I'm I'm pretty easily satisfied. But the t- people I spoke with, they all seem to like it a lot. They they do it uh, a sit down plated, changing every night in the main dining room for lunches and breakfasts. It's sort of a buffet style, but with a, like a, an egg station or a, or a pasta station at lunch. But otherwise, they have a huge variety of options put out on the buffet area. So. That's nice. And then, they, of course, if you just would rather have a, a, a cheeseburger or something, you could order that, you know, off menu type thing. So they have, yeah, they had a good, good variety of options, I thought. What's the seating like in terms of both, you know, time? I'm assuming dinners at one time every night uh, or a range, at least a short range. And yeah, then, it's a range. Yep. And then are you sitting with others? Yep. Yep. You can sit with others in your, uh, in your traveling party or if you make some friends on board, you would sit with them. They had a couple of big tables, maybe like two or th- they had like three big tables in the main dining room, and then everything else was like a two to four top sort of thing. And are are they assigned? No, not assigned. It's just open, open. And but you notice after the second or third night, people sort of got used to where their spot was. They'd go with their group to their spot, so that sort of tends Isn't that to be funny the case. how that works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people make friends and they're comfortable, and then they go in and. And then, yeah, they just, everyone sort of stakes out their claim. And we did, we did mingle around a little bit and had different dinners with a couple of different people or lunches or at least adjacent conversations to pe- with people and things like that. So it was always nice. I would, I would suspect a ship of this size in this crowd, it would get an almost summer camp kind of feel it, you know, Maybe maybe there's a little bit of an impingement with COVID, but you would you would form little groups of people who are all sharing similar interests and, and things like that. So I'm I'm, fair, I'm I'm guessing it's a fairly social atmosphere on board. I'll put it that way. Yeah, definitely. Especially when everyone when we're traveling through the Drake Passage, and some people are used to sort of rocky conditions, and other people are a little more timid about it. And it's sort of an we're all in this together thing, or <laughs> it's their first time through, and they've heard such tragic horror stories about how rough the seas can get, and they talk about what kind of uh, seasickness medicine they're going to try tonight, or things like that. <laughs> some people out on deck shaking their fists, going "Do your worst," and others checking the uh, that the exactly. lifeboats are secure. Some people yeah. just love it, and other people are terrified. So 
<laughs> I, I would love to hear about that actually more um, about what the what the seas were like on this trip and whether or not motion sickness is a real concern on this not just this size of ship but in this location in particular I'm somebody who who does get some seasickness I, I rarely get it on a large uh, you know large cruise ships but one of my concerns about doing something like this is is, is exactly that. Yeah, it's absolutely probably one of the top three topics that comes up whenever people talk about Antarctica is, of course, people would love to do it. They want to get down and see all the penguins and seals and the beauty. You, you do have to risk some uncomfortable time on, on the ship to do so. Now, this trip, for me, they were both perfectly calm trips down and back. I wouldn't say perfectly calm, but for me, they seem very calm. Uh, I think we hit some 10-foot seas or something once. And some people were noticing and commenting it and really excited by it. To contrast, two years ago, I had a, ho a horrible crossing on the way back. For three straight days, we were in our room and it was like 30 foot to 40 foot seas. And that was very rough. This, we could, this, they didn't shut down any facilities. The whole time we were able to walk around and do anything and everything was open. And, you know, I would call it pretty gentle seas for the Drake passage on this trip. People want to know how to prepare for that. You know, I guess you have to not psych yourself out also ahead of time by thinking about that because you hear so much about it, you can end up psyching yourself out, making, convincing yourself that you will get sick and, and ultimately do. My brother had some of these concerns because he'd never sailed in these trips. So I said, you know, he brought medicine. I said, don't take the medicine until we get a forecast saying that it really is going to be bad. And even then, if you think you want to try to tough it out, you might have a better experience just sort of not being on the medicine because the medicine can make you very drowsy and, and, and stuff like that. And it can, it can really make you not want to be up doing anything anyways. And then also if you start, it's, 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 it's a dilemma because if the seas start getting really rough and you're like, oh man, I wish I'd taken my medicine. And then you want to start taking it. It's probably too late at that point. Unless you take enough to put yourself to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Unless you knock yourself right out and then you're done for two days. But yeah, it's really tough because you do have to get it in your system ahead of time so that you can get acclimated and be ready for it. Because once you start feeling the seas and you start feeling ill, then to try to take the medicine, it's already too late. So it's it's kind of a tough thing. You got to really know your body and not psych yourself out and find some strategies that might help you better as far as looking out at the horizon and just trying to relax. But it all depends on what type of anxiety you might have about those things. You'd have to make your own judgment on what you want to do to, to make it across. If you if you can make it, if you can if you can tough it out, it's definitely worthwhile. Well, Brian, Brian always likes to tell this funny story about me throwing up in the Blue Grotto in Italy. So, <laughs> <laughs> off the side of the boat because I didn't take any Dramamine or anything like that, because you know yeah, we those, came. Those little canoes bob you around pretty good, don't oh they? Oh my no, it was a, It was a rough day, and it was really yeah. hot, and so yeah, yeah the, it was oh, really hot. Yeah. It was the sea. Yeah, the seas were really, and I was fine on the boat that had gotten us there. But then you get into, like you said, those little canoes, and it was in the little canoe that I had that I got sick. Yeah, I didn't get sick yeah. in the larger boat. <laughs> But that's the, you know, that's what it sort of brings up that memory. But to your point, I think if you know your body ahead of time, you know, and you also know what medicines work for you and maybe right. don't put you to sleep. That's the, you know, you have to pay attention to the forecast and, and all of that to plan ahead. Yep. It's, it's kind of tricky. It, so, John, I'm curious. How, so you leave port to head to Antarctica. It sounds like you've got a few days of significant sailing to get down to Antarctica. Is that like, what's the, what's the itinerary here? You, you, you're at sea for some period of time and then you're in Antarctica. Like what, what is that itinerary like? Yeah, it can take, depending on the weather and the seas and the winds and everything, they generally try to plan for two days of sailing down to the peninsula. We actually got there in a day and a half. Cause like I said, it was fairly mild for us. So when you leave Ushuaia or maybe some, some ships leave out of, um, Chile, whatever the same sort of area down there, you're going to have about two days before you go to Antarctica and get to Antarctica. Now, if you're starting and going to South Georgia Islands first, this wasn't that wasn't on our itinerary, but South Georgia is also a region incorporated in a lot of these Antarctica cruises. You might have three days if you're going to go there first before to Antarctica, but we went straight to Antarctica, so it was a day and a half for us. And that's like through the Drake Passage for most of that time. Is that right? Correct. And so it sounds like your itinerary can vary depending on how long it's going to take you to get there. 
Right. And it, 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 it ours actually vary day by day. So they have a general plan of where they want to go and where they have permits to go on your trip and for their season. But we had some bad weather in one area or we had ice blocking a channel. So we had to change a plan for a different day. So it's kind of like captain's choice. They'll work out some other cool places to take you because there's there's dozens and dozens of places they can take you that are one just as good as the other. And so they'll go where the where the the seas are more favorable and the weather conditions are more favorable to give you the best uh, experience. It see it seems like so. I'm looking right now at the at Atlas o- Ocean Voyages and this itinerary. I think it's the itinerary you were on, and it basically shows day. You know, it's day one is when you're leaving Ushuaia. Day two, day three, your Drake Passage. Day four, South Shetland Islands in Antarctica, and then day five, six, and seven are captain's choice. So, so exactly what you're talking about. They're going to take you to wherever the weather is right and the little spots that they might know. and Yeah, they're also in contact with other ships down there. The captains all know each other and they'll be like, they know someone just left some place the day before or early in the morning. And they'll say, what did you see? Is it worth going there? So maybe they'll make that their afternoon trip because they'll know that there's got a lot of penguins on in the rookery and there's a lot of uh, chicks that are, are, that are available to be seen or things like that. When I'm guessing Captain's Choice is also the euphemism for I may need more time to get the ship someplace. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to take a quick pause in the action here to thank our amazing sponsors over at Touring Plans. We use Touring Plans Travel to book our own Disney vacations and just love, love, love our Touring Plans Travel Specialist. She waits on hold when we don't have time. She monitors cruise deals for us and rebooks to get us lower rates on some of the cruise lines that actually where the prices actually do go down, <laughs> like Disney Cruise Line. Uh, so she does watch those rates for us and rebook. She steers us toward cruises we would like and room categories and gives us suggestions. And so while we have our preferences, she's always there and available to help us out. And when we plan a parks vacation, it's just gotten so complicated of late with all the new genie technology and everything. Like I need to rely on someone who really understands what's going on. And she absolutely helps us there as well. So we love the folks over at Touring Plans. What we love most is that the philosophy of Touring Plans aligns with the philosophy of our own podcast. We're not out to sell you a Disney vacation. We're not travel agents ourselves. And so we just like to give our honest opinions and reviews. And I think you'll find the folks over at Touring Plans will also give you their honest opinions and reviews of different sailings and ships uh, and steer you toward the thing that they think is the best for your family. So Remember, you don't pay anything extra to use a travel agent, especially when booking Disney vacations. Disney pays the travel agent at the time you travel. You're leaving money on the table. If you don't use a travel agent, you're certainly leaving expertise on the table if you don't. So we highly recommend the folks over at Touring Plans. Head over there. Check them out. Touringplans.com slash travel. Let them know the DCL Duo sent you to help support the show. And with that, back to our episode. Uh, what is the weather like in Antarctica, you know, when you're sailing? Is How cold is it or warm is it? Uh, yeah. What's the weather like? Well, this is their austral summer. So it's the this warmest. This is December, right? Yeah. It's, it's the warmest time of year because uh, summer was just happening as we were arriving. So it's starting to get uh, the seasons changing. Days are very long. We have about four hours of nighttime. Uh, sunsets around 11 p.m. Sunrise is about 3 a.m. And the weather conditions that we saw were anywhere from like 20 degrees and rainy and very, very snowy to uh, almost 40, low, low 40s and uh, very sunny from, you know, varies by day to day because of the winds that are coming off the glacier and things like that. But it's quite pleasant, actually, you know, not as deep freeze as you would think and plenty of sunlight all day long. So it was hard to re- hard to know when to go to sleep. You'd be having a cocktail in the lounge and realize that the sun hadn't gone down and it's getting near midnight. You're <laughs> <laughs> like, you better go to bed. I got a lot. Of, we got a lot of stuff we're going to be doing tomorrow. And and how early are the morning wake ups? And I, I know obviously this is going to vary for, per, for each person, but how early is it that you are going to be, you know, getting someplace where there's an opportunity to see something or get off the ship or, you know, to do something? We start gathering to, to get off right after eight o'clock or so. So you want to make sure you get up at seven or whatever to have your breakfast and, and get ready to be getting dressed when your group is called because they segment us up into groups. So we'll, we'll have like sort of staggered times to get out and t- take our turns getting the Zodiacs to go ashore and things like that. So anything from eight, eight o'clock to nine o'clock, we'll be doing operations, getting people off the ship in the morning. And then we'll come back by 11 or so 
and then have a lunch and then do an afternoon operations in a similar fashion. And how do they split people up in groups? And this will start to get into talking about what we call in the, you know, in the bigger ship cruising world excursions. I know it's a little bit different because it's it's such a small group. Everybody's pretty much, you know, going to be going out to do the, the same type of stuff. But do they segment you up by, you know, ability level? When I say ability level, I mean, you know, physical ability level type stuff or how adventurous you're going to be? Or is it just sort of a random way of splitting people up? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, we have two days of sailing. So on the second day, we might have an orientation and say how things are going to happen once we reach the peninsula. And they offer us the opportunity to say, have you made any friends on board? We're going to be doing our groups. Uh, just just let us know which groups want us, who, who you would like to be uh, on the Zodiacs with. So they give you an opportunities for like some people might have made friends or some people who are traveling together as a group or family to make sure they all stay together. And then they do their best to sort of keep those groups in the, in the same pairings. Otherwise, it's just sort of a, a random draw to, to basically it's you're just using it as a, a water taxi to get ashore most of the trips. Other times you might be on Zodiac tours and maybe you do want to stay on on the same uh, Zodiac during the whole time as you go explore around the bays and channels and you won't be getting off the Zodiac. You'll be spending more like 90 minutes together on the same little Zodiac. But otherwise, it's a, a shuttle taxi that it might not really matter to be in the same group. Before we get to talking about what what the things are that you get to do, I, I'm curious to hear what are the when you're going to Antarctica, what kinds of wildlife are you hoping slash expecting to see? Yeah, the big ones obviously are the penguin colonies. No polar bears in Antarctica, <laughs> <laughs> despite what some people might. I think. know that's that, but is that there is that you know what pe- people have these expectations from I don't know movies or what they imagine yeah this down here is penguin land so there's the the main thing the attractions are the penguins and so we saw a lot of uh, gen 2 penguins then there's the Adelie penguins and then uh, you're going to see some albatross birds petrels they tend to start following the ship as you get closer to the uh, peninsula so that's really cool and a lot of seals so you see leopard seals Weddell seals, crab eaters, and fur seals. I love I love seals and I love penguins. <laughs> yeah, the penguins are so cool because you go on land with them and they are just doing their thing and they're unafraid of humans and they'll they'll walk right past you. You don't you can't approach them. They want you to keep a distance. But if they come up to you, that's their decision. So you can't stop them from coming up to you. But it's yeah, it's really cool. So a big thing is about about going down here is people want to know about photography and what should they bring. Now, if you're a real avid photographer, of course, you want to bring a nice long lens and get some great shots. But most people can get excellent photos of penguins and sometimes seals simply with their cell phones. It's just amazing. So that's another aspect to how I realize you don't really need to overpack and bring too much gear in that respect either. Talking about the wildlife is a good segue to talking about what kinds of I'll call them activities. I'm like I said, I'm I'm thinking sort of in the realm of excursions when we compare to large ship cruising. But what are the kinds of things that you get to do in Antarctica and on one of these cruises? Yeah, the excursions are the highlight. Obviously, every day you want to know where you're going to be and what you're going to do. The bulk of it's going to consist of going ashore or going on a Zodiac tour around to see ice formations and hopefully see um, seals and penguins in the water and things like that. But most of the time you're going to go ashore and you're just going to kind of do a shore walk and see penguin colonies. We had very, very snowy conditions. So sometimes that limited how far inland we were able to walk. So I imagine on some of these itineraries later in the season when it gets warmer, you're able to do more hiking and a little bit longer hiking and shore walks. This was a lot of observation of colonies and sort of strolling along the shore on the snow-packed areas, seeing the penguins. Uh, This time of year, actually, the penguin photography is way better because they're not so dirty yet from doing all their nesting and breeding. (laughs) So they make some nice, brilliant photos. So that's one aspect. The Most of the stuff you'll be doing involve going ashore and, and looking around and seeing the penguin colonies and things like that. Other things that they have available is they have the kayaks and sea kayaks. So you can go on sea kayak excursions and paddle around in the water so you can see things from the water. Kind of a nice vigorous exercise. And they weren't able to get stand-up paddle boards out because the conditions were too icy and windy and not, not appropriate. But there's uh, stand-up paddle boarding as a possibility down there, which kind of would be a really cool thing to do in Antarctica, I would think. 
And also the one big sort of signature event on these cruises is doing the polar plunge. And then people uh, sort of jump off the ship into the icy waters and kind of get bragging rights, say they've done something as crazy as that. Yeah, I would pass on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Everything else sounds great. We had about 60 some people participate. It was a pretty good uh, turnout. Wow. I mean, the coldest yeah. I've ever done is I jumped off of a boat into Lake Tahoe and I thought the the air was going to get sucked out of my chest. <laughs> <laughs> I was immediately like, where is the boat? Where is the boat? So I'm usually fairly unafraid because like, what's the worst that can happen? I jump in and get out real quick. But they said the water that we jumped into was going to be 29 degrees, which seems counterintuitive because doesn't water freeze at 32, but it's the moving salty seawater. So it actually has a freezing point a little bit lower. So I was actually actually concerned them you know they said they never lost anybody yet to heart, <laughs> to heart attacks or anything but i was like man or hypothermia. Can you imagine yeah but i was in and out in like three seconds and it was pretty exhilarating it was fun do they have do they have like a boat there to grab you when you jump in or like are you yeah they've got a pretty good setup what they have is um they have boats out there but most of the, the boat out there is the zodiac has got the photographers on it because they want to see everyone do their jump and their <laughs> the crazy expressions when they're getting out of the water but they put a tether on you so that they can as soon as you jump in they start reeling you back in so you don't drift away or sort of your limbs freeze up and you can't help get yourself back on so yeah so i mean that's a real concern you if you're that cold, your body can go into a kind of shock. You really know, yeah. 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 Well, and the and I remember being on a just a snorkeling excursion in the Caribbean. You remember that same when the currents oh, were so yeah. strong, people couldn't get back to the boat. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing was like we jump in and then you do feel yourself start drifting. So if you're not a strong enough swimmer, they've got that covered and you can go ahead and jump in, enjoy yourself, and they'll they'll yank you out <laughs> and, and oh put you goodness. straight in the hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They have um hot hot chocolate and vodka waiting for. The vodka seems like a terrible idea, by the way, with the blood thinner. I don't know. I don't know. The Russians have some pretty cold territory. Yeah, I guess it's part of the the big uh, spa experience for the Nordic countries or something. I don't know. There you go. There you go. A little bit of brandy or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) What what kind of excursion? I'm assuming you get some excursions where you actually get to step out onto Antarctica itself. You're not just out on the edges of it. What's that like? And what kind of gear did you need to hike around, you know, the, the peninsula or the, the, um, uh, the shelf? Yeah. whatever. Yeah. 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 Some, <laughs> some of the stops we had were on islands, definitely. So some people would sort of have a technicality and say, you didn't get to Antarctica until you got on the continent. So we did, we did have a stop that got you on to the continent itself. So you can a lot of people were getting their seventh continent at that time, and that's what Antarctica is for a lot of people to finish that that out. The gear is the same everywhere, though, that we went. There was nothing different as far as boots um, or any other gear because the conditions were very similar. You wouldn't know whether you were technically on the continent or on an island somewhere else or on somewhere else on the peninsula. It all looked exactly the same realistically. And the boots, you said that you didn't have to bring your own boots. They would supply you boots. Are they like, are, are they like snow boots? Are they hiking boots? What are, what kind of, the what big, kind? Like the big, the big waterproof boots that come uh, almost up to your knee. Like wellies. Yes, exactly. That's the term. Yeah, the wellies. So yeah, real good. And they're good to hike in and they've got a nice grip so you don't slip around and you walk on the rocks, you walk on the snow, you walk on the ice. What was your favorite excursion, John? What was the what was your the standout one for you? Um, I would say the last place we went to was an island called Cooverville, and uh, that had the most penguins, and it had the, it was the nicest day. So it it just was a great way to cap cap it. This, the no chicks. It was too early in the season for us. I, I was hearing reports from the the cruises that went after us. The two direct ones after us were starting to see chicks come out. We saw some eggs. But the chicks weren't out yet. That's that's a bummer. I'd want to go with to see the chicks. <laughs> there was so an excursion that, that didn't uh, happen because of weather conditions as well. I should mention this one is, you, Brian, you said about getting onto the continent itself and what kind of gear do you need. There's a, there's a premium excursion you could pay for. You can sleep out overnight on the continent that Atlas offers, which, which is pretty cool. A lot of people were disappointed. They had signed up for that and, and were looking forward to it, but couldn't do it because the weather was just too, too harsh. Was it like like a camping kind of accommodation? Yeah, they, they, they bring they, you got to dig a hole and, and price have some sort of some sort of uh, mats and things to lay in and 
bundle up and maybe some sort of tenting or things like that. But sounds pretty adventurous. I don't I don't think I would want to do that. Sounds terrifying to <laughs> but me. But I know that the nice the bar and the warmth <laughs> of my my cabin and everything was right there on board. I would be very mad that I paid to freeze my butt off all night. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, photographers love to do it if you want to see the skies and and things like that. Right. You want to get like sunrise and yeah, all that kind and of all stuff. The stars and the clear sky. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'm sure you could get a lot of those shots from the ship too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm with you, John. I'd be, I, I, I want to have a good night's sleep in a warm bed, and then I'll get up and hike in the morning. I'm okay exactly. with that. <laughs> Side here, I'm curious, have you ever done an Arctic cruise? And can you speak to the difference between sort of visiting the Arctic Circle as opposed to going to Antarctica? Yeah, the, the Arctic is way more inhabited. Antarctica is just desolate. Nobody lives there. And you're just out there with these animals and the ice formations. Well, Santa's Santa's up in the Arctic. Yeah, way north. <laughs> but yeah, we did a, Nor- a Norway cruise on Viking uh, ocean cruises on Viking Sky a few years ago. So we were in Norway and got all the way up to Tromso and some of the northernmost points within the Arctic Circle. And all oh, that is brilliant, a brilliant experience. Just great night skies and see the northern lights and things like that. But, you know, you, you're, you're visiting towns and you're seeing people and you're going to restaurants or whatever. So it's just way different. And I'm thinking about, I've seen the photos of like the National Geographic icebreakers and things like that. Like that's not the kind of thing that you're going to be doing in the Antarctic, I assume. Yeah. I mean, they they do do have icebreakers and I know some in Antarctica, I've seen pictures in the past couple of weeks of maybe Silver Sea Cruises had uh, one of their ships sort of push itself right into the, onto the ice. And there's this, you know, that's kind of like the gimmicky thing they do. And it's kind of, it's kind of, I mean, a lot of cruise lines do it. It looks really impressive. Your ship is sort of shelved into the ice and then the people get off. They go around to the bow of the ship and they run out a big long rope. And then people throw it over their shoulder and get the picture where it looks like they're pulling the ship onto the ice. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of fun, but it is kind of, that'd have to be a unique experience because you're actually standing and on an ice yeah, that, that sounds that scary. It has no land under it. It's just ice in the middle of the water. And if it cracks, you're gone. <laughs> what about back on board, John? I'm curious. I'm assuming they have naturalists and speakers and things like that on board to educate you about what you're going to be doing the next day. Yeah, the expedition team, they have all, people of all sorts of uh, educational interests, right? geologists or people who are into birds and marine biology and the science of things. And they do enrichment talks in the theater. They talk about the birds. They talk about the whales or specific talks on things like that. And they and then every every night you also do have before dinner, you have sort of a recap of the day, what you saw, what you did, and sort of a look ahead to where you're going, what the weather's likely to be like, and what you're likely to see. So yeah, the team's really great. And our activities on board the ship, I mean, I'm look, I'm assuming it's it's limited. You're not getting stage shows and things like that. It's a lot more about the, as I recall from our last talk, John, it's a lot more about like in the morning, you're doing something in the afternoon, you're doing something. So being on board is really just about relaxing, resting and getting ready for the next day. Yeah. There's a piano player who plays in the lounge and there are people dancing and enjoying the music and things like that. It's more social, uh, people talking, hanging out in the lounge. We did have a fun sort of a trivia contest night where the expedition team put on a a little thing and and divvied us up into teams. And we sort of had to recall some of the things we had learned along the way. And, And they asked us like how how big it was and whether, you know, it was a bigger than or, le- or le- larger than this or less than this sort of, we had to get closest to win sort of thing, like the wingspan of an albatross. So we did sort of trace it out on like a clothesline and then they would measure what, what our guess was versus the reality and things like that. So there was a fun interactive thing to do that way and sort of incorporated what we were learning along the way. So that was fun. But you, like you say, there's not a lot, a lot of things, no big shows. It's sort of the environment you're in is 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 this show for you. I'm, so I'm just curious too, John, about like the, the crew interaction and what that's like. I mean, on a large ship, you might get to know a, a crew member or two. I'm assuming in this size of a ship, you're getting some pretty hefty crew interaction. And uh, I'm just curious about what that interaction is like, especially maybe with some of the officers on board or the captain, you might see more often than you would on a large cruise ship. 
Yeah, we definitely did see the officers more because the ship is smaller and they might be in the public spaces and, and they'll introduce themselves and come around. The big interaction is with the expedition team and the other crew on board who are like maybe your bartenders or your servers in the restaurants. And that's always been a huge draw for me to these small ships and especially expedition ships is that you have... They're not only working there, they are also passionate travelers who have specifically chosen this career because they want to be in places like Antarctica. And it's just great to get to to know some of those people, what their passions are, where they come from. They tell us about siblings who they know who are on other ships that they just saw go by, two ships passing in the night, as it were, because maybe they have family who has also been in this kind of maritime industry or in the, the expedition sort of industry and, and tourism and travel and love being in the outdoors. So it's great. It is great fun to get to share these experiences with them. And of course, I always come home uh, and have new friends on Facebook or, or new people that we track each other's stuff on Instagram and, and stay in touch that way. It's, it's, it's really a blast. What are the, what's the nationality makeup or range? Obviously, I, I, I assume there's a range of nationalities for the crew. And then also what about the, the guests? Or I, I'm kind of assuming most of the guests are American, but uh, curious if there were other nationalities on board as well and, and, and what the crew makeup is like. Yes. As far as the guests go on our cruise, and the same would be on probably the one I went on a couple of years ago, is uh, all North American, except for we had four people from Japan on this cruise, actually. And of the North Americans, I would say, I don't think there were any Canadians on board. So they were all from the US uh, on this one. But yeah, that is normally the case is I'm seeing, especially now, the past year or so is, is you're seeing Americans traveling and a lot of other people from other countries are having trouble getting opportunity to do things like this. But you might see Australian on the ship, I'm sure, once things are normal. Um, more Canadians, of course. But that was the breakdown of mine for the passengers. For the crew, the hotel side, of course, is a lot of people from the Philippines and Indonesia. And the, and the expedition team was uh, all across the spectrum of some Argentinians, of course, because they're sort of close to home and they know the region so well. And they, they've done other things in, in uh, Antarctica a lot as part of their career. And Australia, some people from Australia and the UK. And actually, our uh, expedition team leader was from Germany. And I assume the, the language used on board, though, is English. Yes, all English. I'm imagining right now, it's, as you said, John, it's hard for some of the folks from Australia and elsewhere to... Not just not just make the trek, but uh, to your point, they may face some pretty stringent just quarantine requirements to yeah. get home. Exactly. And, yeah, the hassles yeah. just aren't really worth it to have to have like another month of their life put on hold just to go do a trip. Well, John, as always, I get excited hearing about your expedition cruising because one day I would like to do one ourselves. <laughs> our yep. son is our Someday. son. Our son is unfortunately just a little too young to make that uh, worth it for us. But I'd be especially interested in experiencing Antarctica and the Galapagos. So uh, I'm always excited to hear about your travels on these uh, smaller ships. Uh, what's next for you, John? Well, we'll have to see. We I had a plan to go on the Yucatan Peninsula, but then I'm going to put that off because things are a little crazy right now, you know. So um, we'll have to see. I don't have any big plans. It's been great to, after such a busy year last year with so many cruises and so many lines coming back and being out there for so often, it was really nice to get back home in Colorado, enjoy the holidays, catch up on sort of the content and people I got to write some stories for and manage my own stuff. And then sort of set a new calendar for this year and sort of get refreshed. And, and I'm looking forward to that. But um, there'll be plenty coming, I'm sure. I'm just not pushing it too hard right now. Well, I think we've reached that point in the show where I'm going to throw it over to Sam for her rapid fire round. Sam, take it away. Yeah. So I've got a short little rapid fire here for you. And I, I've because we've talked to you a couple times before, I've narrowed this down to kind of favorites on expedition cruising. So favorite expedition cruising itinerary. Alaska. Ooh. Favorite expedition excursion? I would say kayaking in the misty fjords in Alaska. <laughs> Ooh, that's awesome. <laughs> Note that Polar Plunge did not make the top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> it is a blast, actually, and I do always love that. It is a highlight, but it's just over so quickly that, that it's, you know. Favorite activity to do on board one of these cruises? My favorite activity on board would be uh, trying the new craft 
beers that I can find that they've brought on board. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, my brother and I actually on this Atlas ship had the bartender bust out all sorts of different varieties from that they had. I was impressed with their selection. And so we created a craft brew flight and sort of had that at the bar one night and the bartender said, I've never done this before. I'm like, well, now you have, and you can tell guests, you can tell guests it's just something it's fun available. to do. It's available. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fun. All right. Favorite expedition ship. My favorite expedition ship is uh, Crystal Endeavor. I was blown away when I tried that ship in the Bahamas. It was its last trip before it was heading down to Antarctica. So I got a nice preview of it in the warm weather. But it is massive, is luxurious. The staff is incredible. It has so many amenities and a lot of great activities to do on board. Favorite expedition cruise line? I would say Uncruise Adventures. They are the leader in Alaska expedition cruising and they have a lot of other locations that go around the world. But I've always say just brilliant experiences with them. And then bucket list. What What is your bucket list expedition cruise? My bucket list, much like Brian mentioned, is uh, the Galapagos. We had a trip canceled in 2020 that we are looking forward to trying to make happen this year. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Well, awesome. when you do that sailing, John, we you know we have to have you back because we, we love talking about these specialized sailings with you. They're so much fun, such great information. John, remind folks where they can find and follow along with your travels again. Absolutely. They can find my website at intheloop.travel.com, my YouTube channel, uh, search for In The Loop Travel. And then my Instagram is Loop Travel Picks, L-O-O-P Travel P-I-C-S. Awesome. And I highly recommend all of them. They are great resources for information on these cruises. And as I said, John's pictures are always just a lot of fun. So that's how I I always catch my attention on Instagram. And I'm like, where's John? We got to have him back. So (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate it. I'm glad someone's watching. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks as always, John, for coming on. We really appreciate it. You bet. Well, I hope you enjoyed learning more about Antarctic cruising with John. He's always fun to have on. We love having him on and hearing about his adventures and expedition travels, and we will be sure to have him back in the future. Monitor his Instagram because if he goes someplace interesting, you can bet we're reaching out to ask him if he can come share the experience with us. So with that, I do have another five-star review to read on the air this week. This one comes from LI8247, who writes great DCL podcasts. One of my favorites. I always look forward to this podcast. They are a great couple that has great info on DCL and excellent trip reports. Well, thank you for that review. And we've got another excellent trip report coming up after our cruise in New Orleans. So got a couple episodes coming out between now and then as we are sailing. But when we get back, we can't wait to share that cruise with you. So look for that. With that, as always, I do want to thank each and every one of you out there for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL Duo each week. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, you can email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also browse to dclduo.com and learn even more about our podcast, book time with us, check out our blog posts and see all of our back episodes and connect to our vlog. So head over there and check that out. You can also join our DCL Duo vlog and podcast Facebook group if you'd like to join a conversation with some like like-minded DCL Duo fans and cruisers like yourself, or you can browse over to our YouTube channel for even more great content. Just head to youtube.com slash DCL Duo. If you'd like to help support the show, you can browse to patreon.com slash DCL Duo and choose from one of our monthly support tiers. We really do appreciate each and every one of our Patreons out there for supporting the show each and every month. Or you can head over to touringplans.com slash travel to book your next fabulous Disney vacation. Just let them know that DCL Duo sent you. The DCL Duo podcast and vlog are not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Disney Company, or the Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about Disney Cruise or Disney Vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL duo. Good night.